Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today myself and Simon spoke to Frank Warren for the latest on his appeal to overturn the result of Daniel Dubois versus Alexander Yusek. As the Saudi transfer window comes to a close tonight, what should be the overriding feeling towards what they've achieved after one summer? Have they got the attention of world football? Plus, the PFA and the Premier League have launched a new brain health fund aimed at players and families affected by dementia. We speak to Dr. Judith Gates from Head Safe Football. This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. The result of Daniel Dubois against Alexander Yusik has officially been appealed by Frank Warren and his team. Now, if you remember, Dubois was ultimately stopped in Poland by Yusik in round nine back in uh, August. Uh, the Ukrainian retained the WBA, WBO, IBF and IBO heavyweight titles. But controversy earlier on in round five, when Daniel put Yusik down in that round, only for his body shot attempt to be ruled as a low blow. Frank lobbied for a no contest and a rematch. But how long is that process going to take? And Frank Warren joins us live on the show this morning. Frank, good morning to you. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Simon. Morning, Frank. How are you feeling? Uh, spring in your step in this beautiful weather? It's wonderful, isn't there's it? Not, there's always a spring in my step. It, it doesn't, it's not, and it's not down to the weather. Oh, I like that, Frank. So where are you at with this then? Um, you're still insisting that no matter what, you're, you're going to push the boxing authorities because of what happened in round five and you still think that Dubois was robbed there and then? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we've, we've got a lot of um, photographic, video proof and so forth and we've sent that off as part of our, of our case and uh, that's been, now been lodged with the WBA. So to go through the process now, they'll have a hearing and they'll determine whether they feel we've got a valid case or not. And that's that's really where we're at. So we're fighting two for now for our man. And how long do you think this process will take, Frank, ideally? I'm, I'm hoping it'll be fairly quickly. But, you know, sometimes it can take up to three to four weeks. So Simon thinks that you're after one of three outcomes. And, and what would these be, Simon? I mean, well, I think he's after one of one outcome, isn't he? He wants to get, Frank, you want to get a rematch, don't you? <laughs> of course, that's what we feel we should do. You know, look, if, if if after that knockdown, if 
Daniel had grit his teeth and went hell for leather, I don't think a lot of people would be moaning about the application. People are moaning about it because some feel he, he didn't, um, you know, he sort of lost heart in the fight. But that's that to me is irrelevant. It's what happened at that moment in time. And that moment in time, he, he hit with a legitimate shot. I think we can guarantee we can prove that. And the referee gave him a three minute, 46 second break. And at one stage, when I think when Usyk went wanted the fight, after about two rounds, the referee insisted he takes more time. So that's not his job, and, and the referee got it drastically wrong. But, but Frank, some would say, I don't know if Simon agrees, that this sport is all about levels. And Usyk uh, proved, ultimately, that he's on a different one to Daniel. Not really. If that, if that another referee had given that as a legitimate blow, it would have been the fight would have been over. What's your take on him? Do, um, do, do you sympathise with Frank in the efforts that he's now making on behalf of his fighter, Simon? Well, d yeah, to a degree, um, because I think that ultimately it wasn't a low blow. I think, you know, whilst there's an element of subjectivity towards refereeing decisions, there was a fight, as we know, on the same evening uh, between Jared Anderson and, uh, uh, and a fighter called Rodenko, where the, a very different standard was deployed to the judgment of what a low blow is. I am in the, in the camp, and probably Frank will, uh, will will accede to this particular point, that I'm surprised that Daniel Dubois didn't subsequently jump on him and take advantage of that, but that may well be down to inexperience and the fact that, uh, you know, his judgment call was, was different to what we think it should be. But I don't think it's inappropriate for his promoter to be going after um, the WBA to try and achieve a better outcome than the current situation. The current situation is you've had your shot back of the queue. I would imagine that Frank would like to try and put, create a better situation, which is an ideal world. In an ideal world, he gets a no contest. If he can't get a no contest, he gets a rematch. If he can't get a rematch, he gets some ability to retain Daniel Dubois as the mandatory on the WBA belt. Is that a, a fair assessment, Frank? Yeah, I mean, there are three options there, but, you know, obviously we're going, we're going for the main one. But, look, uh, do I think they'll declare a no contest? No, I don't. No. Uh, we will try hard for that, but I don't think they will. But there's no doubt about it. The referee got it badly wrong. He did not. If you watched that fight you were referring to, Simon, I did. 15, 15 low, what you would say, according to Daniel, he could have been disqualified 15 times, 15 shots. And, and not only that, the, the other guy never even complained about it. He was taking the shots because he's, his belt was high, like as, as was U6, and hit on the, on the belt line. And that's where a lot of people are getting it wrong. It's not the fight, the punch hitting the, the waistband of the shorts. It has to be above the navel. And all, most boxers, in fact, Daniel as well in that fight, wear their shorts very, very high. They wear them high, high above the navel. So the shot was a legitimate shot. And the referee, by the way, never before the fight, at any time, instructed either boxer what was a what was um you know where what was the uh, area for, you see it might have been a different story though frank if, if daniel had gone right after you see right there yeah, and then I, in the I, next I round Jim, i hear that mate and there's a case left but you know what at the end of the day he's, uh, he was on your program last week i think it was or the week before and he said himself that he lost you know he sort of lost well he said he lost lost the flavor for it in other words but but having said that you know, I, I, I weren't happy with that, but if, if what happened happened, it can't be right. You can't say, right, you can, you mm. know, referee, 
hey, listen, take a bit more time. That's okay. You want to fight? No, you take another minute the, and a half. Frank, Frank we're many comments coming in. There's a fight fan called Mark. Morning, Mark. Frank on your show is assuming an awful lot to say Yusik couldn't have fought on uh, had he been told to get up sooner is ludicrous. Yusik is too shrewd for that, says Mark. I mean, that's Mark's opinion. But the fact of the matter is I didn't see him at any time, any time when he was on the floor holding his balls, rolling round, any time, say that he wanted to get up and fight. Did he do that? No, he didn't. He, 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 took, he took all that time out. He didn't say to the referee, no, I'm good to go. Didn't say that at all. He took but do you not do you not think though, Frank? In in because the argument's been made on the converse that if he was if he was if the referee had started to count that he would have got up, but the advantage would have been really then Daniels because we, you saw when he did eventually get himself to his uh, to his feet after three minutes and forty six seconds that he was still damaged and there was still an opportunity there for Daniel. There would have been an even greater opportunity for Daniel if he was on a, if he was on a, a count immediately because he'd have been feeling the full effects of it. So if he'd have got up, he would have been in a really je- a real position of jeopardy, Usyk, wouldn't he? I, 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 I agree with what you're saying there but but look you know before the fight i fancied him big time i said he i said he which he gave him his hardest fight there's no doubt about that as a heavyweight he's had that was his hardest fight he's had um and and when when you you know when i look back i, I you know i studied him quite a bit he's a very good fighter but there is a lot of footage of him complaining and moaning about when he gets hit to the body he cannot take a body shot world's most dangerous download outspoken with white and jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station talk sport the saudi window comes to a close tonight so to a degree our attention is on the saudi pro league and who might end up there today um uh, we're going to get into this more of it i mean we, we we're pretty much darn sure now that mo salah will not end up uh in the saudi pro not league in this window by the close of play exactly not in this window um Having said that, who knows? Because we hear the man at the very top of Al Etihad still wants him. That's not to say they won't bid. They might. Will they get him? Probably not. Everton have confirmed the last few moments that Damari Gray has left the club and he joins the Saudi Pro League today. He heads out to join Steven Gerrard at Al Etifak. He will be a teammate of uh, Jordan Henderson, uh, of course. And when Brendan Rodgers, Celtic manager, was on the other day, he said, yeah, we've got to face it. The Saudis have a plan all right. It's definitely something that, that makes players wobble, for sure, because of the, the, the money that is talked about and, and what, what it can do for, for, for not just players and their families, but the legacy that they can create for their families for years down the line. So it's definitely something. I think the thing that makes it dangerous is, and, and I only know because I, I actually spoke to a, a club in Saudi when, when, I, you know, when I left Leicester and... and was thinking of maybe taking a year out. Out of respect, I spoke to a team a couple of times. I think the big thing that they have is the what what makes them dangerous is, of course, they have the money, but they have a plan there. Plan is on course in terms of attracting top players and looking to get top managers. Well, of course they have a plan. And we knew that weeks ago. Out of respect. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We knew that weeks ago because their chief executive, Michael Eminalo, told us we have a plan. And the plan is to become one of the biggest leagues in world football. So so they've done that, Simon. They've They've got eyeballs on their league. Indeed. So they're slowly trying to take over by stealth. Take over what? Bit by bit by bit. Take over what? They hope their wealth will end up with them dominating football. Okay. Um, look, we will see how that plays out. My main argument would be, if you believe that the rest of the football leagues around the world are just going to sit there 
and say that the Saudis get a free range to run their football how they want, to, to, to disrupt the ecosystem, to have no governance whatsoever, to have no parameters that are equal to anyone else. I don't understand why there's an argument they're going to be in the Champions League. That's a European competition. They're not on that continent. Yeah, but the European situation is interesting because European football might have to give the Saudis something back in return. Let me explain why. Why? Well, is Europe going to try and bring Saudi into line with their rules? It might just, because European clubs want FIFA to establish regulations that guarantee that they will get their money from Saudi transfer fees. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, did Wolves get all the money they wanted for Ruben Neves? Maybe not. And let me explain that. In Europe, under UEFA's jurisdiction, there is a no overdue payments rule. Yeah, it's called football credit policy. Yeah, and that means that clubs must meet their obligations to fellow yeah. football club creditors yeah. and tax authorities by agreed deadlines. Yes, absolutely. Does I, that apply to the Saudis? Um, no, it doesn't, because well, they're not under the European well, jurisdiction. By that. So, so what you would then turn around and say to the Saudis is, if you want to buy our players, you have to pay all of the transfer fee up front. Otherwise, they've done that. Well, Everyone, well, every deal they've well, done. We can't on one hand say they've got more money than God, and then on the second hand say they want to pay it on the drip. So I assume it's not much of a problem. But why are European clubs now meeting and talking about this? Because they did want, you get your money in a one? Did no, they pay you in I, a one? I would, I would imagine, without being in the meeting, that the conversation is about how do we ensure that at some point in the development of this league, which is quite beneficial to us right now because they're paying stupid money to us for players that we don't want. Right. So right now it suits us, but in a longer game, how do we make sure that they have the same landscape that we have? Because if they have the same landscape as we have, in which parallel universe are players going to want to go and play in Saudi? Once you, have, once you take away their only advantage, their only game changer, the only part of the Saudi factor that Possibly has any the resonance... ultimate game changer. Right, but once you take that away... You tell us constantly footballers love money. But once you take away that, that away... And you say to people, you've got to have financial fair play governing you to compete in major tournaments, to compete in the Champions League if we're going to evolve that, to compete in the FIFA World Club Championships. Mm -hmm. You have to have the same governance that everyone else has. And the Saudis will say to that, okay, we'll meet your demands to do that. Right. And then what, So what are we going to get in return? How about a place in the Champions League for entrance, one of our clubs? Entrance, and that's fine. And you could have that. And then I would ask you the question is... Why would you play in Saudi if you can get the same money playing for Liverpool, you can get the same money playing for Manchester United, the same money playing for Real Madrid, the same money playing for Barcelona? The only competitive, if you want to call it that, competitive advantage that the Saudis have, for me, in the immediate future, is finances. And in order to get, in order for those finances to have any merit, they need to be able to keep throwing it at it. Yes, and but that is then, Simon. For now, the Saudis are offering ridiculous money and, and are getting some serious players over there. Not really. Some serious. They are. They're getting players at the end of their careers. They're getting people that are like Ruben uh, Neves. Well, there were individuals like Ruben Neves that more than other, decent are the exception that don't prove the rule. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. The PFA and the Premier League have launched a new brain health fund. One million quid in the kitty thus far. It's aimed at players and families affected by dementia. The PFA, we are told, will make an initial one million pounds available and they're seeking to establish a charity alongside other football stakeholders with a view to being longer-term vehicle for support. In other words, hurrah, at last, the PFA's cage has been rattled and they've come up with a million quid. But the question is, is this long overdue and how far will it stretch? Um, Dr. Judith Gates does terrific work for Head Safe Football and uh, Judith joins us live. Judith, good morning to you. First of all, your initial reaction to, to this one million pound that's coming your way. My initial reaction was like yours, hurrah. Uh, and then I have to include the word, but. Hurrah, one million pounds, fantastic. Hurrah, the sporting governing bodies, namely the Premier League and the PFA, recognising responsibility, wanting to care for players and families. But we have the but. And the but is how far will this go? We recognise that one million pounds is the salary for two weeks for a top league Premier League player, a top Premier League player. We recognise that it will cover care costs, residential care costs, which is what families need the most, for maybe 10 to 12 families for one year. And I already know families that where that could be immediately used. So it is actually like the first minute of a football match. It's like the kickoff. And we've got the big question about what's going to happen in the next 89 minutes to ensure that these players who have been affected to date 
the players who have already been affected and don't yet know because they're living with, is this going to happen to me? And the players who are currently playing, we left wondering what is going to happen to them. So definitely, hurrah, it's happening. Definitely great that responsibility is being taken, but it's the next steps, the next 89 minutes, which may go into extra time, where we're actually looking at it and saying, what does it mean for now and for the future? I hear what you say, uh, Judith, and I, and I, 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 we so respect the work you do, Judith, and uh, Head Safe Football. Are you saying this just scratches the surface? So, with, with all due respect to the PFA and the contribution that the, they are making, the PFA and the Premier League. I mean, if I was to pin you, Judith, and say, right, what is a more meaningful amount of money that, if it was to come your way, you would say, now you're talking. Now we're getting serious about combating this problem. Right. Thank you for that question, Jim. Last year, I looked very closely at the costs over the next 30 years for care for this particular issue. I looked at costs for residential care, in-home care, etc. I looked at costs for education across the board, from grassroots to the professional level. And I looked at costs for research that hasn't yet been begun. And we came up with a figure of a billion pounds over 30 years. Over 30 years, please take that into account, as to a closer um, recognition of what would be needed. So yes, this is tremendous move forward. A million pounds sounds a, an, a, an enormous amount of money. But if we're actually looking at addressing the problem, and as I've said, we already have a 30-year problem because there are players who have finished their career who are waiting to see what's going to happen to them. Even if we put everything right right now, we still have a 30-year problem. A billion pounds is closer to a figure and more in line with the NFL. A billion pounds, Simon, over 30 years. You heard Judith there. Yeah. Aimed at players and families affected by dementia. A billion pounds over 30 years. A million this morning, with all due respect to the PFA and the Premier League, it barely scratches the surface. So that when, when Judith says that, and in an amount like that, albeit over a period of time like that, three decades, yeah. this is a massive problem. Well, it's 30 million a year, isn't it? I mean, ultimately, that's what uh, Judith, Judith is suggesting um, is going to be required. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand where you would think this was going to come from, Judith, and at what point do we move the narrative? The conversation that's been had for a long time is a refusal for the football industry to either educate itself or to accept its responsibility. And it has now done this in one way or t'other by approaching the, the, the training of young kids differently, moving out of the heading regime and, and, and acknowledging, albeit not accepting, specifically it's an industrial injury. But at what point do we cut off the responsibility of the industry and turn it back to the choices that individuals make to be part of the industry? Because if you're suggesting that we go forward 30 years, we've got a generation of footballers now that are very, very well remunerated and have been for probably 20 or 30 years. Not the footballers from the 70s and 80s, but the footballers from the 90s and onwards have been very well remunerated. They have the opportunity in recent times to have been availed 
of the medical information surrounding the challenges that football brings, at which point does a step-off become solely the responsibility of the industry requiring it to produce thirty, forty million pounds a year to fund the aftercare of players that have suffered as a result of it and then become the responsibility of people having private health care, ensuring themselves for eventualities further down the line or not participating in a sport? Very interesting comment, Simon, and one that I take extremely seriously and actually so does head safe football because it is a combination of both. I think that it's a combination of policy and practice from the sporting governing bodies and it's part of the whole potential solution moving forward uh, is around individuals taking personal responsibility. So for example, in Head Safe Football, and I'm giving you a heads up on this one because our formal launch hasn't yet taken place, we are actually looking at working with communities from grassroots level to the professional level to educate, to raise awareness, to support people to take responsibility for their actions. If I look back, for example, a year or so ago to when the FA introduced the no more than 10 high force headers a week in training and recognised that what happened then was, is this an edict? Is it being monitored? Is it being policed? What will happen? One of the points that was made to me quite strongly was it will only really happen when the players recognise that they only have one brain that that brain is fragile and that they need to protect it. What we're finding in work with EFL players is that only 4% know of chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So we have the sporting governing bodies with a responsibility to educate and also to provide further research. But we have the players and the individuals and the moms and dads of kids in the academy to actually recognise the personal dangers and protect themselves. Because I have to say with feeling, when you lose your brain, you lose yourself. Judith, as always, it's very good to speak to you. Um, And again, uh, we congratulate you and respect the work that you do. Um, Wonder how far the million will stretch to start with, uh, Judith, what do you think? Well, I am currently, the Gates family is not looking for any funding. We're able to look after my husband, but I know what it is costing our family per year for his residential care. What does it cost, they, Judith, if you don't mind me asking? It costs six and a half thousand a month. So based on that, and that is a residential care facility in the north of England, this money would look after 10 to 12 families with residential care for one year. And the families are saying the residential care is what they really need. They're saying that is what worries us, losing our home. How do we pay for it? That is what the sporting governing bodies are the only ones who can provide that. Charities, um, NGOs can provide counselling, they can provide advice on how you manage situations, but the level of money that's needed can only come from the richest game in the world. And the current one million on the table, whilst very welcome and a starting point, will only meet the needs of 10 to 12 families for one year. I could spend it tomorrow, as I'm sure the Brain Health Group could. There's a final point from Judith, Simon. Can Judith. I just can I just ask how did they? Do you have any understanding of how they managed to arrive at this arbitrary figure of a million pounds? What was their what was their thought process behind arriving at a million pounds? 
I have no knowledge of how they arrived at it. The suggestions that I would make is that there needs to be an actuarial assessment as to the number of players that are likely to be affected on an annual basis going forward. And that assessment would take account of the number of professional players we have past and present. It would take account of the statistics that we have about the increased incidence of 5% more likely to get dementia than the general population. And it requires an actuarial assessment, then put alongside care costs, which are, of course, escalating and are complicated themselves. And of course, as I've said earlier, what is also needed is research. I mean, the players who are worried about their future health because they've already ended their career, it is not beyond the realms of possibility for money to be put into research for diagnosis during life, for treatment during life. So all of these factors, plus, of course, the crucial education, are key. So £1 million is fantastic. I'm definitely not looking a gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> Proving the fact that the responsibility has been recognised but I'm saying it's the first minute of the game. It's the kickoff. More will be needed. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Talk Sport fight pundit Adi Oladipo joins us live on the show. Adi, it's great to see you, mate. You were saying some very complimentary things, mostly about this man, with which I totally concur, uh, and the show you're yeah, part no, of it look, it's great it's a to fantastic be with you show. Look, the, the, the small part I play in it is, is marvellous and thanks for having me on but look it's a great show isn't it I know a lot of people that um, surprise me when they say they, they watch. I'm like, you watch? Yeah, they watch this yeah, yeah. Uh, on YouTube. So, yeah, it's ticking all the boxes. Yeah, listen, you're just back from New York. How I was am it? Lovely. Uh, almost as good as this weather, if not a bit better. Um, it was nice just to be out there for a week, just press the pause button. Yeah. It's a busy schedule of events, football and boxing coming up in the next couple of months. And sometimes you just need to refresh and recharge. One of your so favourite nice. cities in the world. It has to be. It, it wasn't before. I used to think it was quite quite dirty if I'm honest with you like sometimes just walking around but now I've been changed I've been convinced I had a good Blimey. had a good someone that showed me around and I thought okay this is New York so this is really it went okay. to New Jersey as well lovely place what are you going to tell us no, you no, lived I, there. I, of I course lived, you lived there I lived there for two years 30 why, years why ago why did I know that so when you look at the cleanliness of New York City compared to when I lived in New York City I lived in Greenwich Village for a year and I lived mm. on the Upper West Side um, the that's the rich part, by the way, for those of us that know. No, the surprised. Upper East Side is the rich part. Okay, yeah. right, the Upper West Side is the Bohemian part. I was a Bohemian at the time. Ah. Yeah. But it's an interesting city. An interesting city indeed. Uh, interesting outcome added last weekend mm. to Liam Smith against uh, Chris Eubank Jr. And of course, now the big questions are, what next for Eubank Jr.? Maybe another question, of course, what next, if anything? Mm. for Liam Smith yeah uh, were you as surprised as this fellow was about how one-sided it was yeah absolutely I, I mean look, I was I, I was thinking it was going to be a repeat if I'm honest with you I think once someone beats you the way Liam Smith knocked him out last time I know there's still this debate about was it an elbow or wasn't it but the fact is he knocked out Chris Eubank Jr and I thought he was going to do it again I thought the idea of Chris Eubank Jr trying to um, bring in a new trainer Brian McIntyre uh, Terence Crawford's trainer I thought that's not going to work Eubank doesn't like to listen to people he's going to come in he's He's going to still fight the same way. But ultimately, it wasn't the case. Liam Smith was off a little bit and Liam, and Eubank Jr. was on a little bit. And sometimes that's the small margins in boxing. Um, but I was surprised of how one-sided it was. I didn't give Liam Smith a round. No. no. Am I right in thinking you got a lot of messages post-fight saying it's the man Simon Jordan that's all going I got. to give credit that's all I got. to Chris Eubank my, my Jr.? My DMs were full. 
And, and people were tagging me on Twitter saying, not about Eubanks' performance, not about Conor Ben and Kel Brook. It was like, is Simon Jordan finally going to say something nice about Chris Eubanks Jr.? Yeah. And yeah. I'm here on Thursday looking at him in the eye asking, is he going to say something complimentary have, against about Chris Eubanks? It's all said, been I've, negative. I've said it already. No, 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 that's not true at all. I've made an observation which I think I can stack up and stand up previously. But I think the performance on Saturday was a very strong... But, but the irony of it is, is I tip Eubanks to win the fight. Mm. So I already made the conversation. I already made the statement from a yeah, positive point of view. Having taken Liam Smith to win it about forty-eight hours before. No, 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 no. Oh, I he changed his mind. No, no, you no, fancied no, a bit of no, Smith no, at I, one no, stage. I took Eubank. I took Eubank at the beginning of that week. I said, <laughs> my, my the beginning of the week leading up to the fight. It's there. It's indelible. It's, in, it's on. It's on talk boxing. It's indelible. <laughs> it's there. It's a matter of fact. It's not a debate. I can bring up the clip if an you want. An indelible stay. I, I think that Chris Eubank will win this fight. Right. Fair enough. And as the week went on. And you start to listen to all those that should know, because we you you spend a lot of time listening to people across the studio saying, you've never boxed, you don't know what you're talking about, you haven't got a right to say the things that you'd say. So you listen to Carl Froch, and we listen to Johnny Nelson, and I listen to Matthew Macklin, and I listen to Spencer Oliver, all of them who said that, that Liam Smith would win, would win. The interesting thing was, is I don't think it was, mild, I don't think it was a, a sm slight uh, degradation of Liam Smith, I think it was a massive degradation mm. in terms of what he put into that fight mm -hmm. the second time around. Yeah. Yeah. He was at least... 20 to 30% worse than he was in the first fight. Well, we spoke to Conor Ben after it. We also spoke to Carla Sarland, um, Eubank Jr.'s promoter, Addy. And we said to him straight, you know, what do you think's next uh, for your man? This was him. Junior likes the big nights. Absolutely. That's for sure. And those three names are all big, big nights. That's not saying he doesn't respect world titles. They're not saying he doesn't want world titles. It's absolutely on the agenda. It's just you can't look past massive nights that wasn't just promoter talk last week when i said this is the biggest fight in the uk this year it is and it was yeah because the other fights haven't happened in the uk this year it's as simple as that right now for the uk fans you saw the atmosphere in manchester should eubank smith for no title not even a british title be the fight of the year in the uk no it shouldn't but it is so yeah. I can't be knocked for bringing that and trying to bring other big fights to the UK. And by the way, I, don't, I, I think a Charlo fight over here does great business. Mm. Addy, you, 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 you watch this with a very close eye. What, what do you think? What do you think is going to be next for you, Banjo? If we could put you right in the spot, A, what do you want? B, what do you think will happen? Conor Ben. Um, Conor Ben, I think, will happen. What I want is for Chris Eubank Jr. to go for a world title, but I, I fully understand that Sometimes it comes down to risk and reward. Um, the reward for fighting for a world title, the money just isn't there. The, the middleweight division is the worst it's been in years. It isn't the, the glory middleweight divisions of years gone by. Cali uh, um, Sowland there mentioned Charlo. That's Jamal Charlo, who's been out the ring for nearly three years, the WBC champion. It's not a big fight anymore. There's a gentleman called Alan Canali that I'm guessing a lot of our listeners won't know. Not a big fight. There's another guy called Carlos Adamas. Not a big fight. If there were big fights in the middleweight division, I'd be pushing and pulling for Chris Eubank Jr. to fight one of those champions. They're not big fights. Chris Eubank Jr. is 33. He loves a pound note. He wants to make as much money as possible. And unfortunately, the names he, he mentioned at the end of the fight are just more rewarding financially. And he might say easier. Conor Ben, Kell Brook, 41-year-old Golovkin, I understand why he's going down that route, um, but this is why this is why we must call it for what it is. Because mm. we've listened to a lot from Chris about what he wants to achieve. 
the legacy that he gets from his father's name mm. needs to be delivered upon. If he wants to be a world title yeah, holder... legacy. What, what, tell me what fighter doesn't go for money. Well, I, you know what Fury's pitching up to later fine. on today that's with Ngannou? Fine. I have no problem with it. No problem with it. But then don't tell everybody that you're going to fight for world titles, that your pursuit of the world title is your next opportunity, that, you, you know, Gennady Golovkin, maybe, maybe he can move, maybe they can move Charlo up, because it was me that suggested yeah. to, to Callis Allen that why are we talking about Conor Ben? Why are we talking about Kilbrook? Why are we talking about Gennady Golovkin? Why aren't we talking about Charlo? And and uh, the, the next thought process could be that Charlo could move up to middle, super middleweight, mm-hmm. fight uh, Alvarez because he's not going to fight, because um, uh, uh, Eubank's not going to fight Alvarez because he won't beat him. Mm-hmm. And then Gennady Golovkin and, and Chris Eubank Jr. can fight for a vacant middleweight title, then you're fighting for a world title and then it has more resonance attached to it. But I find it difficult to stomach. I do. I find it difficult to stomach on one hand because I think the Conor Ben fight is a disgrace. I do. I think it's a disgrace. If if it's fought here in this country. I think it's a tragedy for boxing that that is the fight that people are calling out for. A a disgrace because of the situation surrounding Conor Ben or a disgrace because Conor Ben's moving up I think a variety of reasons. I don't think it's a legitimate fight in certain respects. I think Conor Ben's going up massive weights and Chris Eubank, albeit now he's proved he can come down to a certain weight, but they're asking him to come down to 157 for this fight, right? No, they're going to ask him now, 160. They're now going to push it up to 160. So Conor Ben's going to have to go up to significant weights. Fine, okay, that's a scenario. But also... Because you still have doubts about Conor Ben. Well, I think you can't not have doubts about Conor Ben. You can't not have doubts about it because he hasn't proved his innocence. We can all sit here and we can listen to those that are seeking to make a lot of money out of the situation tell you that he's cleared himself. But unless you've gone through strict liability, which is the obligation that he has to go through, he hasn't cleared himself. He's had failed drugs tests and no one has has removed that reason. What they've moved is the fact that the jurisdiction of of UCAD has been superseded by VADA on one of the tests. Yeah, Simon's right. Look, there there does need to be a situation where it's cleared up. You can't go into what will be the biggest fight of the year and it will be that with this cloud over it still. I think the Conor Ben situation needs to be cleared up. There's obviously an issue with the British Boxing Board of but Control. But also the flip side, and again, Addy, is that with due respect to Conor, and I, I like him as a point, he hasn't fought anybody of any city. He's fought Formella and Vargas and Van Herden and mm. Algeri that are all on the way down. And we're giving Conor Ben this... He's like a footballer that's not played for six months that all of a sudden gets better and better the more he isn't playing. He's getting this notoriety of being a world beater and he isn't. Right now, and we're we're billing this fight as the must see fight in British boxing. Well, do you think it's Chris a tragedy? Ubin, do you think Chris Eubank Jr. is a world beater? No, I so, think so there's two so so two non world beaters think, fighting each other. But I think then. he has I think he has the potential based upon what he sells mm. himself to be because that's that's the issue. That's where the char- charlatan comment came from. That you keep on telling everybody that you're this and you're that and you're going to fight for this and you're going to fight for that and all we really hear about is how much money you've got and what your house in Las Vegas looks like right and 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 that was a charlatan that's what the, that's the genesis of the charlatan is he comment. still is, is he still based on what he did in the weekend still a charlatan well, depends. He's a, he's a, he's a he's transitioning from a charlatan <laughs> to a non-charlatan. <laughs> that's about that's about as far as you would go, I suppose, Simon. Addy, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the week, we spoke to Conor Ben, and he kindly came on. Mm. That was one thing because I think he's wary of what he's going to be asked, quite rightly. But he, he also spoke about Eubank's performance and what he wants. It's hard to take anything away from it. Uh, it was clear to see. You know, based on Smith's whole career, that you know he wasn't at the races, and you know he may have picked up an injury in the fight. So you know, I, I don't take much away from that. It was like it was like Eubank was hitting a punch bag in there. So you know, there weren't no counters, there weren't no you know evading the shots, no counter shots. You know, so for me, it was um yeah, he done what he needed to do, uh, but it still took him ten rounds to get um, a one five four fighter out of there. Connor, it begs a question. 
who's next for you? Would you want Eubank Jr.? Oh, 100%. I don't believe I need a warm-up fight. Um, you know, given everything that's going on um, and has gone on, I'd like to do it here for the supporters, for everyone who's continued to support me through this period. You know, a December massive showdown would, um, you know, be a treat for the fans. Sam, I don't think it's hard. It, it, it's super hard to argue against it. Uh, Eubank Ben Jr. Uh, Eubank Jr. against Ben is more bankable than it was first time around. This is what the public would want, if and they it's do. an old British if, affair. If they do, and that's the and that's the gift of the public. I'm not in that camp. I wasn't. If you remember, you wouldn't when, watch it. No, I wouldn't because yes, of that you word, Simon. Would. Simon, Simon, you, Simon you you're a big okay. boxing fan. I am. Yeah, and you would certainly watch it. In fact, I think you'd be ringside for it. I wouldn't. I, don't, I wouldn't because I'd be a hypocrite to be so. I, I when the fight was made, I'm, I saw Conor Ben out there in the foyer. I said, I don't like this fight for you. I don't know why you're taking this fight. You should be fighting in your own weight class and building mm. up and taking a fight with David Avenesian or taking a fight with one yeah. of the Garcias or with Keith Thurman, establishing yourself in that division. Go win that world title at some point because mm. Spence and Crawford will fight at some point and they'll cancel one another out and you'll get an opportunity times on your side so I said it then right? and of course then what's followed after that is all the controversy surrounding Connor. I don't like the fight I don't, and I, don't, I like it even less because I really dislike the way it's been manipulated by certain people to be create an opportunity the circumstances surrounding these two boys what, first of all you've got one promoter Kalas Alam was quite happy to come on here a year ago and turn around and say that he his that the doctors were advising Chris Eubank Jr of on which drugs a fighter could take that he'd be happy for him to fight against, right? Then you've got another promoter that spent the last 12 months telling everybody the reasons why Conor Ben should be able to fight in this country and or fight anywhere else and then entice people into fighting somewhere else and compromise their position in a boxing world. Simon, the public would want it. And, but again... The public if, would if, want if it. The public, if, if the UCAD situation was cleared before December, would you then be okay with it? I don't like the fight full stop, but mm. if, if the UCAD situation... My, my issue with Conor, insofar as I have one, is the circumstances surrounding the position he finds himself in. And the fact that I sat across the table from a very, very articulate man that was representing, I, don't, I think he's been marginalised now, possibly, Rennie, who mm -hmm. spoke to us about the dynamics of how they were going to clear their name and how they had, you know, absolutely irrefutable medical evidence that proved the fact that the, the circumstances surrounding Connor were fundamentally wrong. And the only way he could have ingested clomiphene was through the food chain. And they were going to prove that. But they didn't. They went into that situation and they got around it on jurisdiction. So you've got two failed drug tests in a sport that needs to be cleaned up that people are just ignoring and saying, well, that's fine, because he was cleared by the WBC who gave him a defence well, that they don't even want to use. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review. Wherever you get your podcast from, we'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.